Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Passano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday night segment of The Outer Realm. We're broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. And brand new for us, Roku. We are broadcasting live for all you amazing folks over on Roku. So make sure you check us out. Anyway, we are fully sponsored by the amazing folks over at Folgers Coffee who have been a part of our journey since the very beginning. Thank you, Folgers. We appreciate you so very much. You have no idea. Also, big thank you to Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, a.k.a. Justin Snicker, for his contribution of his time, his music, and his voice. He is the man behind our intro and our outro. He's an award-winning composer of Halloween, horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, which can be found anywhere that good music can be found. Artwork is Mr. Steve McGinnis, who does a lot of horror-themed stuff, just amazing stuff. So check him out on Instagram, check him out on Facebook, check out his custom work. He can do just about anything you want, and he's got a great lineup of stuff ready to go. Anyway, tonight we welcome for the very first time Bill and Jackie Kudulis, and they're going to be discussing their new book, Bridging the Tragedy. Uh, Mothman, things like that. So this is going to be kind of exciting. I, I've actually really been looking forward to this. This was a recommendation. And um, boy, when I started reading into it, uh, I thought, holy cow, I wanted to do something based on Mothman. And this touches on the Mothman legacy. It focuses on various types of trauma from people of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, you know, who experienced uh, everything that went on with the Silver Bridge collapse. And this is sort of the aftermath and the trauma that people went through. Uh, it's just amazing. So I'm, I can't wait until uh, we hear what they have to say. So I have essentially sent them their link. And now we're going to wait. So, hey, Brian. Oh, boy, everybody's chiming in. Tamara, hello, hello. Hello, William. Sure hope there's some good news tonight. Into the war would be a nice switch of situation. Sure would. <laughs> yes, Folgers. Folgers, Tamara. Folgers. <laughs> and glad you enjoyed, Ray. Glad you enjoyed the show. Hey, Brian. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you, my friend. And hello, Kenny. Everybody's just chiming in. So, who doesn't like Mothman? That's that's what I've got to say. I mean, I've enjoyed the movie when it came out and thought it was, you know, left, let's just say it left me asking a lot of questions because I started, you know, I researched a lot and I, and I started finding that there were oh, similarities. Hold on. Our guests are here. Woohoo. Hello. Hey, Michelle. How are you? I'm well. Oh, and who's this little cutie pie? This is my wife, Jackie. <laughs> Jackie. 
<laughs> That's kind of talking about the little furry one. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> Hello. So, guys, welcome to the show. Um, I, I've really been looking forward to this. I was just saying, you know, how I really enjoy the Mothman just as a story. And you hear so much about it. I've never done, you guys are completely new because out of all the shows, this is the first time I've addressed anything that has to do with it in any way, shape, or form. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Well, that's. I know. Yeah. And Amelia. Oh, my, you know, Amelia does a show with me. She's been under the weather and been going through some family stuff. Everybody's under the weather. So she apologizes that she can't be here because Mothman is one of her favorite topics. So when I told her this had a lot to do with the aftermath of the tragedy and everything surrounding it, she's like, come on. So, you know, that's what happens when you basically pick a bad time to be sick. So anyhow, um, where do you guys want to start? I mean, I don't even know where to start with something like this. You know, we can start with whatever you'd like to, honestly. Uh, Jackie and I are really both very well versed in the whole Mothman story. We can start from the very beginning if you want to. We could talk yeah. about the Mothman Prophecies movie, the book, the book that we've written. You name it. You just go wherever you want. We're not going to miss a beat. Well, I want to definitely talk about your book. And I, as you can see, I'm just sitting here and got it scrolling across. So, but where I'd like to start, I guess, is what leads up to that. So how about we start with the whole, you know, the whole story, wherever you want to touch on and why and what prompted you to write the book at that point? Absolutely. All right. Take her away. <laughs> You'll find this is round table. Like you can say whatever you like. The stage is yours. We want to make the most out of um, our millions of listeners. So whatever All right. you want to well, hey, again, Michelle, thanks for having us. We're honored to be on the program. Um, we do have a, a panel here, unfortunately, that we didn't intend to assimilate for you. But with That's Jackie and me, you saw our little friend, Ellie. She's our seven-month-old lab puppy. Aww. She has a twin sister named Maggie, who's Aww. a black lab. She's at my feet right now. And they have a contest where they like to chase our three and a half pound cat. Nice. The house. So, you know, we're hopeful that that's not going to cause a big ruckus. I just wanted to give you a heads up. They might. Chime that's in. okay. We're, we have people who bring their pets on all the time. We're like, we're pet lovers and rescue lovers. And if whatever may be, may be, we all love it. And it'll be an adventure. I'm sure. No problem. <laughs> so let's start with Mothman. Um, I mean, I guess the whole folklore or, I mean, who is he? Sure. What is he? Well, and just for a quick, brief snippet uh, background, I've been paranormal uh, interested and an enthusiast since the 1970s. Jackie, probably as long as that, she's actually an experiencer. So she had, has had a number of paranormal experiences. So we kind Very of nice. balance each other out. I, I'm not skeptical. That's not where I'm coming from. But sure. I am more investigative and fascinated. Same. She's a first-hand experiencer, so yeah. she's had some things going on that way. So the two of us met in 2004, about a year after I had watched the Mothman Prophecies movie. Right. Are you familiar with the movie? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't think there are too many people who um, who aren't, really. I mean, it was such a, a sensation. Yeah. And we, really I was. just, it really caught my attention. Um, at that point in my life, I was a little removed from super active studying, researching, reading. I was working, you know, the day job and doing the life thing. Right. But I found this movie, and uh, as I watched it, I found it interesting. 
I didn't think it was a fantastic movie, honestly. Right. It was interesting, though. What yes. caught me was all the various things that went on during the movie. And, and for those who aren't familiar with the Mothman Prophecies movie, it's based upon the events that took place in 1966 and 1967 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, sightings of a creature, a black-winged creature who was described a few different ways, manifested for about 13 months in that little community. Point Pleasant uh, and on the opposite side of the Ohio River, in Gallup Police, Ohio, there are a couple sister cities. And mm -hmm. it's them together, maybe <laughs> maybe 12,000 people. You hear my little puppy? I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harassing the cat. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. No worries. <laughs> so, yeah, long, long story short, Michelle, I mean, really, if people are not as familiar with the phenomenon, phenomenon of Mothman, the way that I like to describe it to people who are more contemporary is that what happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was very similar to what's been reported the last several years with respect to Skinwalker Ranch. There were so right. many different things that happened. It wasn't just a black winged creature with red eyes that scared people. It, right. There were also UFO sightings. The UFO sightings outnumbered the, the Mothman sightings. And that's uh, funny because they don't really talk about that at all, do they? They don't. You know, in, yeah. in today's popular Mothman culture, that's not really spoken to much, but there was right. cattle mutilations also. There were all types of poltergeist activity, disembodied voices, you name it. So there was right. all kinds of craziness going on for 13 months. And at the end of the 13 months, the Silver Bridge disaster occurred. And this is when the bridge that connected uh, basically West Virginia and Ohio mm -hmm. went down on December the 15th. And unfortunately, 46 people lost their lives and it just devastated the community. Right, right. Um, you'll just see I'll put comments up every now and then. I'll read them off because we have a huge um, audio listeners. We're also like FM. Oh, yeah. and we're on Roku live, by the way. <laughs> Watch yourself on the big screen. Anyway, Tamara says there's been a new, been new reports of Mothman in New York. And it's funny. And let me know if you guys have heard about this. I know that throughout different parts of the world, when Japan had the nuclear reactor go, allegedly the reports of a similar type being almost identical in the skies over that disaster area. So I guess my question is, is he a harbinger of doom or is he just, is he an omen where he's just trying to warn people? Um, I think he, I think he's there to warn people oh, of impending okay. doom. Okay. Um, we had discussions with people that we interviewed about that. And we had, I had agreed with Susan Sayer, who's in the book. She was um, one of the persons that we interviewed. And we kind of came up with the idea that maybe Mothman was present back in 66, 67 on Point Pleasant, not to um, warn people so much that the bridge was going to go down, but more to speak to the fact that Mothman literally saved Point Pleasant because when the bridge did go down, they rerouted the traffic and the bridge no longer went down through Point Pleasant downtown area. It okay. goes around Point Pleasant now. The traffic all flows around it. So they lost their commerce and businesses started closing slowly one by one by one. And um, the town was dying. And because of Jeff Wamsley, the owner operator of the Mothman Museum, um, right. Mothman has brought Point Pleasant back up and running again. 
Wow. Very nice. The yeah. tourist attraction. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, ha have there been sightings of him since this, um, this tragedy? I think I would say that there are definitely reports of winged creatures that resemble what we've come to know as Mothman. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, uh, you know, out there these days, there are all kinds of reports. There are various websites that a lot of reports go to where people are disclosing that they'd witnessed a uh, Mothman type thing or something mm -hmm. that is close enough in dis you know, description to what the general consensus of the Mothman community would accept as being a Mothman sighting. Uh, mm -hmm. There are reports. I mean, there's an awful lot of activity that uh, states that people are seeing things and they aren't just in Point Pleasant anymore. Those reports right. do come from all over the place. Oh, right, right. What do we think he is? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think he is? Um, I think it's us. Uh, I think it's an interdimensional inter being. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were told by Denny Bellamy, he was another person we interviewed, and he's the director of the tourism there in Point Pleasant for the whole county, for Mason County. And yeah. he said that on the first day of opening hunting season, season in Point Pleasant or that county, um, a quarter of a million people, men, women, and children, hit the woods to hunt. And he said, you better believe me if there was something out there, because everybody was out looking for Mothman, if there was something out there, it would have been found and it would have right. been shot. And he said they had two questions. Um, what was his questions? What, what do we do when we find it? Or can we shoot it when we find it? And if there's more than one, can we shoot two? <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's a tough call. <laughs> Your first instinct is that fight or fight or just shoot it. I know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, um, that that's that's I don't know, that's fascinating, but I guess it, it sort of falls into the whole cryptid thing like Bigfoot, you know, when you see, I mean, Mothman can fly, Bigfoot not so much, but you know, the the footsteps have just been known to stop and then that's it. You know, you look at Loch Ness Monster. They never find anything. The lock cannot sustain anything this big. But yet, there are sightings. So is is it is it exactly that? An interdimensional thing, portals, things of that nature. It would make sense. I mean, they're all over the world. You know, power spots, things like that. It doesn't take much. Uh, Tamara, I wonder if the Owl Man of England is a Mothman. Who knows? I mean, that's they're entirely close. possible. I'm not as familiar with, you know, the Owl Man of England. I I would like it to kind similar. of back a little bit, if I could, Michelle, on what Jackie was talking about with respect to yeah, of course. You know, what do we think Mothman is, you know, because I think that it's such a fascinating phenomenon. It's really pretty unique when it comes yeah. to the paranormal community. There's nothing really that's anywhere close to it. I mean, there are right. a couple things here, a couple things there that are kind of close to it. But I really, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the last 15 years or so studying the works of John Keel. Oh, I love John Keel. Yeah. John Keel being the author, obviously, of, of Mothman Prophecies, mm -hmm. Multiverse, Power, yeah. Operation Trojan Horse. Um, he was just such a forerunner and such an outside the box thinker mm -hmm. when it came to anything paranormal. I mean, really cut his teeth in the industry, basically ch chasing Indian lore and Chinese lore and going over out east, you know, in his first book. Oh, John, he's brilliant. Yeah, you know. he was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I really, you know, in studying his stuff that has made an awful lot of sense to me is that he speaks to 
Mothman as being a transmogrification of energy. You know, Mothman to him is a being that manifests itself in various ways mm -hmm. to each individual who perceives it. And I like his his book that was really half of Mothman prophecies edited out, which followed up the Mothman prophecies called the Eighth Power. Because in the Eighth Power, Keel really goes into the concept of what he calls the super spectrum. Mm -hmm. He's talking about different levels of reality, you know, different yeah, for people familiar with HP Lovecraft, which I'm sure a lot of you, of course, I had, yeah, yeah. The old ones are around <laughs> us right now as we speak. We can't yeah. perceive them. They might see us, but we're kind of occupying the same space interdimensionally. And he'll talk right. about that. And and I really, it resonates with me. It makes sense that we have different frequencies, and perhaps Mothman kind of pokes mm -hmm. through in different, you know, window type areas like Point Pleasant mm -hmm. from time, to time manifests, shows up, and I just love that idea that Jackie and Susan Sayer came up with that, you know, maybe Mothman really came to Point Pleasant because it, he, she was able to perceive that tragedy was going to happen and wanted mm -hmm. to be there to be able to help that community resuscitate itself. It mm -hmm. took a long time, but mm -hmm. the community's thriving now. It's doing great. So I, I just love that explanation of Mothman. Mm -hmm. I love it as well. I, I think we're always so quick to jump to you know, things of this magnitude are so unusual. And because of how things look, you should just automatically fear them. Um, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of that. And I, I am a big believer in mindset. And I believe that it can go either way. You know, if, if you take that perception, it just, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Why do we automatically assume that you know everything that we don't understand is here to cause harm. Well, and the human mind does not like an incomplete picture. <laughs> you know, our, our psyches, our, our psychology, when we see something and we're not sure what it is, we have a need to automatically categorize that into something, something mm -hmm. that we're familiar with. And we're genetically programmed that if it's outside the box of what our perception is, mm -hmm. that we better have our guard up. So right. that fight or flight kicks in. And when that fight or flight kicks in, we lose mm -hmm. rationale. And we mm -hmm. can't necessarily sit there and reason if we see something immediately that's outside of our experience, especially if it's at night. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's got red glowing eyes or that's how it's appearing. Sure. <laughs> let's let's just, face it, it's a little unnerving. Yeah, You're alone on the street. The idea is let's hang out, you know, and have a cocktail. The first idea yep. is we really need to park company quick. Well, and it's right. following this fast up, up to 100 miles per hour behind you when you're driving a car bit yes. unnerving yeah. right yes it's a bit yeah. unnerving yeah now, now you had a lot of people in that area who were getting like you say like you had mentioned uh bill um disembodied sounds you know picking up the telephone hearing things on the telephone and having things showing up you know, like you say, you're on that dark street by yourself and something's pacing the car beside you or just showing up in on the property. Like there were a lot of sightings of this. What do you think, like why? Why do you think that he was making his presence so known? Because to me, that would cause fear. I mean, you're outside of your comfort zone with things like that. You feel like you're almost being stalked, you know, it's a little bit terrifying. And why Point Pleasant? Why, why Point Pleasant, West Virginia? Right. Well, it was yeah. the entire area up up and down the Ohio River and it, um, Charleston as well. One of the sightings, one of the original, the first sighting that was literally spoke of by John Keel, right, 
was in Clendenin, which is a suburb just east of Charleston, just a few miles outside of Charleston. Mm -hmm. So um, why that whole area? Have you ever visited that area? No. It's very, very, um, I, I want to say haunted. I want to say it's a haunted area. Right. Um, they, we've had more experiences there than mm -hmm. anywhere that I that I can think of. That we have to think of the history, though. Yes, I mean, mm -hmm. and I think that's part of it. Plus the mountains, plus the cave systems, plus the um, rivers that merge together. You know, in both Charleston right. and Point Pleasant, mm -hmm. and then in Parkersburg again. Right. There's bridges. And there's water where waters meet, where waters mingle, you know? Yes, so, yes. And, and the, I don't know. There's just so much. The changing of energy. I mean, water amplifies, right? Yes. 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 And and yes. let's let's talk about the cave systems. I mean, that would be a good place for something to hide. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, let's, yes. let's face it, interdimensional or not. I mean, anything. We haven't, I mean, that's a lot of these are, are largely unexplored. You know, people go to a certain point and that's it. It's, it's you know, we have them up like up up Canada way. They're just loaded and they're starting to have more and more sightings of all kinds of cryptids. And it's like, wow, who knew? But when you examine areas that have these deep cave systems, they just also come with a lot of different paranormal activity as well as cryptids, you know, ghost lights and orbs and, you know, UFOs and things of that nature. I mean, we have a lot here. Like we stream out in New Orleans, but I'm actually in Canada. And UFOs are like just pretty much like a part of everyday life in and around here. Wow. So very wooded, very, very wooded. Yeah. And yeah. And in Appalachia, really, the, the mountain range there, and from what I've learned over the years, is that it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, mountain range, not just in the country, but in the world. Oh wow, really? It's just super, super ancient and you know, for those familiar with John Keel and the Mothman prophecies, West Virginia was the one territory in the U.S. that mm. the natives really didn't settle in. They they avoided it for whatever reason. Mm. They avoided it. Keel talks. Really? About, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. The, the Melungeons. Melungeons. The Melungeons that's what they were. Yeah. A mixed race of people that were that were there that uh, I think predated the Native Americans. And he talks about the Moon-eyed people. Wow. Different, different haunting type individuals and manifestations. It's just, yeah. it's a fascinating, fascinating area. Moon-eyed people almost sounds a little bit like grays in a way. Because well, their eyes are very round when they don't have lenses, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. they were said to have been an RH negative species. So blood type, the RH yeah, negative. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, it yeah. is. Some of us are <laughs> negative species. <laughs> yeah, I'm a well. I guess I'm an arch negative species then for well, sure. There you go. There yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah. A lot of theories with that for sure. Like, yeah. God, you talk to Michelle. You know, I'd like to, if I could, expound a little bit on the history, Please. because I think the history is a huge part of the whole Mothman legend. Mm -hmm. You know, that entire region was, uh, it, it, interestingly enough. It was uh, revolutionary war type territory. And, and it's interesting in conversations that we've had with various people from mm -hmm. that area, we, we began talking about history. And the first thing that people told us the very first time we went to Point Pleasant several years ago was that the history of West Virginia is not so much civil war, but it's revolutionary war. 
you know, then you've got to stop and reframe, you know, this goes back further than you know, we were even aware of, because when we think of a, of a major war, we think of the Civil War. But George First Washington was in charge of surveying that entire land mm -hmm. for whoever the the folks were, the king, allegedly King George, mm -hmm. I guess, mm -hmm. was, the, was the, uh, the British official on the throne at that time, had George Washington go out and survey that entire area. And when, when he came to the confluence of the Kanawha and the Ohio River, mm -hmm. He is said to have looked out and observed where the rivers merged and said, this is a very pleasant point. So pleasant point over time turned into Point Pleasant, right. which, which is the name of the town. So that's one part of it. And the other part is the legend of Chief Cornstalk. Right. Legend of Chief Cornstalk. He was a native chieftain who was basically the head of the Shawnee and Mingo tribes who were doing what they could to prevent more white colonialism from the Virginia side across the river. And so he was on a mission for peace. He was a very mm -hmm. rational person, great speaker from what history tells us. Mm -hmm. He was en route to go to speak to the settlers. Unfortunately, there was another skirmish that broke out and a couple of the, the, the whites were killed in this skirmish. And there was a lot of drinking that was going on. They found out that this had happened when Cornstock and his small entourage arrived at Camp Randolph. They mm -hmm. took him prisoner and shortly after that basically executed him point blank. Now, the legend of Mothman, which we've come to uh, learn quite a bit about from both one of his descendants as well as, again, our, our friend Danny Bellamy, is that the legend itself was that in his dying breath, Cornstock uttered a curse upon the land and said this land will not prosper for the next 200 years wow so, do you want to elaborate on what lynn told us at that point and how that went or you want me to do that go ahead you're talking so, <laughs> I, I can try to put her on the spot when i'm thinking about stuff and i run my mouth too much yes he does but so i try to he speaks well so thank you Pull her in because she knows as much as I do. I just don't give her the chance. But um, basically, on our very first trip to Point Pleasant in 2016, uh, we met with a lady by the name of Carolyn Harris, who is the co-founder of the Mothman Festival, along with Jeff Wamsley, who also runs the Mothman Museum. Mm -hmm. And um, we met with Mark Griffith, who is a gentleman who is also in the restaurant. He is also in our book. We've been good friends with him since then. But the lady that I'm talking about, her name is Lynn Robinson. And Lynn is actually, she described herself as the seventh fire descendant of Chief Cornstalk, meaning she's the great, 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 great granddaughter right. of Chief Cornstalk. And I asked her, I said, do you think that your great, great, great grandfather, did he, did he curse the land? Did, does that have something to do with this? Oh, she respectfully looked at me and addressed that question and said, absolutely not. She said, there is not a Native American who would ever curse the land. No, they agree. don't own the land. We don't own the land. That's right. We take care of the land. We are That's stewards. Right. We work in harmony with nature. Mm -hmm. She said, absolutely not. So during our interview a couple summers ago with Denny Bellamy, mm -hmm. Denny kind of dispelled that myth too. And this part I know you like to talk about. <laughs> okay, so there was an old school that was built in 1908 or some time around that um, period, and 
they were tearing the building down. And when they tore away a wall, they found an old closet. And when they opened the old closet, there were some old supplies and things in there. And they found plays, the school play of the Chief Cornstalk Curse. And inside that playbook, it spells out the curse exactly the way it, if you if you if you google it google it you'll find mm. that from the play from the script so oh, that's interesting yeah yeah oh wow here's um, something else that's interesting um and this this doesn't to do with the curse but when we talked to lynn we went out to the tnt area because that's where mothman was spotted and that's where everybody goes when you go to point pleasant you got to go to the tnt you got to go to the igloos you got to do all this stuff and um, when we went there, she had given us tobacco to spread and she told us how to do it. So that way the Native Americans would know that we came in peace and that we weren't there to do any harm. We were like an offering of sorts. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. The yeah. Reason that was is because that was their, um, there's burial grounds out there. Yes. So they, they lived on that land. There's a, mm -hmm. a corn stalk. What is it called? The, Cornstalk grounds is what Cornstalk burial grounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chief Cornstalk burial grounds. So I think that's interesting too, just the fact that um, that was where the tribes lived mm -hmm. for a while as they were passing right. through. And then also, um, Mothman is sometimes compared to the Thunderbird, which yes. relates back to Native Americans. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> the Thunderbird. That's a whole other like amazing legend. It really is. Yeah. I need I need to just do a show just on all of this stuff because it's fascinating. People love it. Um, hey Dolly, uh Dolly's a good friend of mine. Wanna talk like super mega experiencer, like UFOs and everything? That girl. Highly in demand for the show circuit. Uh, my mother's family oh. was from there, daughter of the American Revolution. And awesome. Here's a part I find interesting. My awesome. mom was obsessed with what she called light demons. Interesting. Dolly, can you elaborate on what she thought they were? She will. <laughs> so, um, so now, so we're looking at a little bit of this folklore. Um, do we feel that there's something about this land? I mean, obviously, they were saying like they thought the land was cursed. Is there something with the land itself that maybe could have attracted this being? I think one of the things that Jackie just hit on, and I'm glad she spoke about this, was the fact that and we haven't really elaborated a lot on the TNT area. Yeah. But the TNT area is where Mothman was very predominantly cited by the Scarberries and the Millettes, who were the first folks that actually encountered Mothman in Point Pleasant proper or in the area. Mm -hmm. There were others who also did too in that region as well. Right. But when we talk about, you know, the fact, like she had mentioned, Lynn had asked us and given us tobacco and said, take this out there with you so mm -hmm. that, so that the spirits know that you're not there to cause harm. And we did that. Um, the fact that it's a burial ground, the fact that it's really three burial grounds, if I remember right. correctly, and that they're mass burial grounds means that they were not individuals who were treated respectfully mm -hmm. in their lives. They weren't given yeah. their proper send off mm -hmm. that there is a likelihood that because of that, mm -hmm. that could generate paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. So we talk about, you know, the differences, we talk about the confluences of the river and the energy 
that's associated with that. We talk about the Native American burial grounds and, and the, the des desecration, although I'm sure any of that that takes place now, or at least most of it that take place now, would be just people who are unconscious of the fact that this is what's gone on, mm -hmm. uh, could very well cause spirits to be very restless. And perhaps they were, it, yeah. maybe they were responsible for manifesting some mm -hmm. of this stuff that was going on. And another, another piece of this too, which is really, I think, super, super interesting is that the TNT area was called TNT area because it was an area that was designated by the government during the World War II effort to mm -hmm. manufacture munitions that were being put together for the war effort. So it was an area where people commuted to somewhat blindly. They worked there, they jumped on buses, the buses yeah. were blacked out, they didn't really know where they were going. They kind of knew what they were doing, didn't really know what the end game was. So they were just playing a part and presumably making a pretty good paycheck to be able to build these weapons of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. So this going on, you know, are these things that are happening here, uh, manufacturing these munitions in combination with confluences of rivers, in combination with these Native American components of desecrations of burial grounds and all this, is this some type of a, an archetype? You know, is Mothman some type of an avenging angel here to basically level the playing field or at least right. make some type of an awareness that there are things that are going on here that shouldn't be going on here? Oh, gosh. Like, do you think a sort of, I'm just going to put it out there, like a Native American, like a land guardian, like, a, like an elemental of sorts? Quite possibly. You know, we talked earlier about seeing something outside of our comfort zone will scare us. Yes. You know, you can go back to biblical times and when they described angels, angels okay. made people tremble in fear. And well, these are supposedly the, the archangels don't look anything like what people think they do either, right? If you look at I haven't it. seen one, but I believe you. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. You, you just Google it like what like the real archangels, what they look like, and you'd be just like I did not see that coming. <laughs> First time I saw it I was like, wow. So yeah, I could completely if that's what they were really seeing, as opposed to our perception, that would be really frightening. Just saying. But um, Dolly elaborated. She says, demons um, that would appear corporal as human with wings and red eyes. Who? I mean, these specific ones, they brought disaster. So it wasn't um, the other way around. So I think you would have to have a sort of balance mm -hmm. in, in, you know, you have good obviously you're going to have have the other as i say um so that's that's really fascinating um i like that whole that whole theory um that you were just explaining so do you think when you say that there have been last sightings do you like are they still happening in this area especially this area meeting point pleasant itself well point pleasant yeah or the i'll say like the crazy you know the sacred land as we say <laughs> I, I think so. I, you know, there have yeah. been other reported sightings. You know, one of the things that, you know, Jeff Wamsley spoke to when we spoke with him and we've, we've wow. known him now for, for several years, he's become a good friend of ours, yeah. Uh, yeah. but he spoke in terms of the fact that December 15th, 1967 was the day the silver bridge collapsed. Right. And Denny Bellamy echoed what Jeff said and using my words to summarize what they said, Let's not talk about this nonsense anymore. We're burying friends. We have people who have drowned, people, family members. If you didn't know somebody 
in Point Pleasant who died in the bridge disaster, you knew somebody who knew somebody who died in the bridge disaster. So I think the focus went to, you know, the rescue effort immediately to save right. the people that they could. There weren't many survivors, but that's the first thing they did. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was to deal with the the devastation that took place, that the loss, yes. funerals at Christmas time. I mean, a horrible, horrible mm-hmm. time. All the focus was off of the paranormal stuff. And the right. focus was upon how do we move forward as a community with mm-hmm. this devastating loss. So there were other reports of of things that have taken place in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth Breedlove with uh, Small Town Monsters has a couple different documentaries out. One of them called the uh, called the Mothman Legacy, in which he he basically interviews people who experienced Mothman in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. 1980s in the 1990s 2000s and beyond that had come forth and they'd spoken to their experiences <laughs> so they hadn't stopped they just weren't as prevalent uh, right. that microcosm that took place th- those 13 months was when there was off the charts activity it did kind of slow down but a lot of it was focus driven mm-hmm. and the rest of it was activity driven but it is still going on and i have mm-hmm. to ask my wife what did maggie have a battery a battery. She just took a battery out of our black lab mouth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fur babies, <laughs> like toddlers. <laughs> they all have to act up when you're on the phone or, you know, <laughs> having a radio show. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, I completely, I completely agree. You know, you have to get out of the, the, the supernatural and come into real life, rescue families, mindsets. Do you think things were, because I, I, like I said, I'm a believer in mindset. I also believe that when we, there's grieving, that energy changes and you, we can, you know, create a lot of energy, psychokinesis, telekinesis, things like that. Um, Do you feel in that process that sometimes will attract certain paranormal activity to you as well? I, 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 I counsel and deal with a lot of people who are grieving who just want that sign so desperately that they don't even know what they're actually really communicating with. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, because this would have been like on a mass level, do you mm-hmm. think that that combined energy, because let's talk paranormal activity for a minute, that combined energy, aside from a location that has a massive loss of life, has to leave one hell of an energy imprint. But now everybody left behind and that energy being focused on, like you say, rescue and then the aftermath of the grieving and those who are left behind to move on, which I'm guessing comes to your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I heard you correctly, uh, as you were describing that very eloquently. Ah, uh, wow. Um, okay. Thank you. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> I have my sometimes my head, you know, my mouth gets ahead of my head. So (laughs) if you make sense out of it, it's great. (laughs) I think I was tracking with you and forgive me if I wasn't, but perhaps (laughs) the fact that grieving was so prevalent brought the collective energy level to such a different focus that collectively the grief and the recovery and the community banding together 
in ways that perhaps stretched them beyond what they thought they were even capable of generated a different energy to perhaps yeah. modify whatever energy was there before and maybe right. stave off that paranormal activity. Is, is that what you were asking? I, I feel, you know, did it amplify it? Amplify it. Interesting. Well, there were there weren't any actual reports. I don't believe that were like to, reported to the newspaper or to the police department mm -hmm. after the bridge fell. It was thirteen days or the thirteen months prior to the bridge collapse where all of this right. was happening. Right. So, um, so people made, going through the grieving process never had any. Um, what I'm thinking is that that energy has just been like an overflow into all of the years to come because right. that area seems incredibly haunted. We do spirit box sessions out there and we get more information and messed with more than we ever have anywhere. Oh, I mean, wow. just, just, we did one at, right over the river in, in Gallup Place, Ohio, and constant, constant messing with, there was four of us in on that and we were all getting hits on personal information. And it was just like, coming at us like we're like oh my god oh my mm. god it's like what is going on here he right. heard indrid over and over indrid cold who is um part of all of the mothman prophecy stuff um he heard indrid three times four times i think it was four he's like oh my god i it, it's saying indrid again and we're all like i was at the point that i thought that i was generating it yeah i mean i really thought this is stupid there's no way i'm getting this information you know through this, this ghost box it's telling me Indrid, you know, as the, as it's you know right. scrolling through the radio stations, but it kept popping up. And then right. one of the ladies that we were with also was getting all kinds of messages about a, a little boy who had been haunting this particular locale that she was aware of, and right. so she was getting hits about that as well too. So mm -hmm. it was it was really quite an interesting evening, and that's just one incident. We've had other ones that have just blown our minds. It was literally telling us that. Um, the little boy that went down, one of the little boys that went on the, Carolyn Harris, we, who we spoke of earlier, who she's since passed away. Her son was on the bridge. He was two years old um, and her husband was on the bridge. He went down, they both passed away. And we literally got dark, cold cage. And we're talking, it's like, do you feel like you're in a cage? You know, it's like asking all these different questions. Mm -hmm. And when we asked if his name was um, Timmy, there was a confirmation of that. And the little boy's name was Timmy. I mean, it was unreal, unreal. Well, that kind I of mean, energy could definitely make it easy for spirits to communicate. They have a lot to work with, you know. To, my to mall meter kept getting big hits. I mean, big hits on it. And yeah. It was like, yeah. Right. So it's become That's a hot hotbed in more ways than one now. Yeah. 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 Right. So possibly that disaster did. Um, percolate i guess into yeah, <laughs> yeah. some yeah. of the residual effects yeah. some of the different things that are yeah. presently jackie's right you know when she uses the word haunted um and i i don't want to interpret what she's saying is my thought about the whole thing is i have never felt when i've been in the ohio river valley especially in the point pleasant area i felt that there is a negative entity or something that's there haunting to cause harm. No. It's a very charming place. I mean, the word that I like to use to, to describe Point Pleasant is it's idyllic. It's like right. Mayberry. The people are kind, they're friendly. Right. There's a very welcoming aura there, but there's a magic. 
there's a magic in there. So when Jackie uses the word haunted, it's more like a magic and it's not like a black magic. It's a, it's, it's an excitement. It's a kindness. It's a, it's pleasant. Yeah. Wonderful. There you go. I surprise myself every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I like that because it's just you people automatic. Again, we assume when you go to places of disaster that you're going to have this heaviness, you know, do you, you don't feel that heaviness in this location where you think you would when you have such a, a mass loss of life, mm-hmm. because it's, it is a tragedy. I think you guys, you know, title the right bridging the tragedy is definitely a tragedy and it's, it's hard to recover from that. But yet, you know, this community not only recovered from it, but they, they made it. So this memory lives on. Mm. They are thriving, Michelle. Mm-hmm. it's it's been so neat you know in 2016 the first time that we went there and mind you this is legendary to me so we show up hey there's our buddy mark eddie Hi, mark. Yeah, mark. Yeah. Buddy, <laughs> one of our besties uh, but but um so excited so amazed to actually be there mm-hmm. and then to find the level of compassion and humanity and sense of community and welcoming Mm-hmm. Everybody that we met, you know, we, we just loved it. Uh, it, w- it was just absolutely amazing to us. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, UFO sightings out there a little bit, because that's something, um, I mean, let's face it, it's, usually it's pretty unique areas where that have these multiple sightings. And leading up to this point, there was all of these sightings. Are there still a lot of sightings there? There are some sightings. Okay, so even that's toned down. eh? Yeah. And one of the things, uh, it sounded like you might. Well, we don't know really how much it's toned down because it's not like, I I mean, I don't know how it's reported, but I was doing a video. We were at in the TNT and there were three of us and he got a phone call and he's talking on the phone, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's going on and on and on. So there's these birds and they're big birds and they're flying over. So I'm videoing these birds. And when I would get back to the hotel, whatever video I took for the day, I was downloading and putting in files on my computer. Mm-hmm. As I'm watching one of these videos of the birds, I see this like white plasma ball in the sky. And mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly because I haven't watched the video for a while, but it like, I think it, I think it went down or stayed still or something but there was like another little white ball and they joined together somehow and mm. then both were gone just like that they didn't just like dissipate it just right. was gone gone took off yeah wow. i mean i didn't see it like flying off or anything it just disappeared so right they're still oddities if you want to call it that i don't know what else to call it there's yeah. there's things happen high there's strangeness People are seeing shadow people out there. There's people are still seeing a lot of stuff in the TNT. So right. um, we thought we saw John Keel's um, chapter, um, Purple Lights and April Foolishness. We were out there and we saw this really strange formation in the night sky. It was like a like a reddish almost, wasn't it? And um, it was like dreamy looking when you were looking at it. And we're like, whoa, and we're taking these <laughs> trying our best to figure it out. And we had a move on investigator with us. Right. And so what we ended up finding, figuring out what it was, is it was a strawberry moon. And with the reflection of probably the water and the clouds and all of that, it was just all of the behind 
stuff, the reflection behind the clouds and all of that, that was mm -hmm. causing all of this. Right. But I mean, yes, we really thought we were seeing some type of um, weird stuff going on in the sky there. So Right, right. Meanwhile, you have a logical moment. Got to hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah, takes away happens. from the excitement. <laughs> so. yeah, you don't want that to be the case, but sometimes you have to chalk it up. You do. Yeah, you have to well, just be level-headed about it, I suppose. <laughs> As we're snapping all the pictures, we're talking through it, and then we're like, okay, well, that explains it. But yeah, uh, so there yeah. are things happening because we, <laughs> excuse me, when I looked at that video, I sent it to who, the lady that was with us, the MUFON investigator, and then mm -hmm. she sent it on to other investigators and nobody could explain that one. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> excuse me. So absolutely. <laughs> Do you need, need to take a moment? Yeah. <laughs> down here. No, That's okay. <laughs> we were talking about UFOs and we were talking about currently versus what it looked like in the past. And right. in, in the Mothman prophecies, Jackie mentioned that there's a chapter called Purple Lights and April foolishness. Right. And, and in that chapter, Keel really goes into what was happening from the UFO perspective. Right. And he and the local reporter, a lady by the name of Mary Heyer, mm -hmm. who worked for the Athens, Ohio Messenger satellite office right there in Point Pleasant. She was already, you know, getting involved with the Mothman sightings and the UFO sightings before Keel even arrived on the case. And so they kind of paired up mm -hmm. and with her credibility within the community, he was able to interview people who had seen Mothman, who had had strange encounters, who had seen UFOs, all these different types of things. They trusted Mary, so they trusted John by proxy. He was mm -hmm. right there with her. But they right. went out to the TNT area to uh, a, a road called Camp Connolly Road. Mm -hmm. And in the Mothman prophecies, they talk about how the two of them were out late. It was midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning, and they were looking up at the skies, and, and all of a sudden they saw something. And it was strange aerial activity. And so John looked up at it and uh, he, he had one of these heavy duty, like industrial style flashlights. And he started flashing Morse, Morse code at this light that was up in the sky, which he, as he was doing this, all of a sudden this light started doing uh, like a falling leaf type sensation. Mm. Like it was walking down a step of stairs. Right. And Mary asked him, what did you tell? that thing with your morse code thing and he said i spelled out the word descend so oh, he basically wow, makes it sound as though he communicated with this entity that then in turn followed his instruction and did what he asked it to do wow it sounds a little bit like he was doing what we call today a ce5 mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so which is interesting, but he did it with Morse code because I mean, so many people now, of course, I guess it's just new, uh, new upgraded version, but um, we're we're able to just be telepathic, yeah, with it. You know, I mean, I've tested that theory and have had amazing results just by you know going out and saying, you know, in my mind, just telepathically saying, okay, you know, I think I'm ready. The next thing you know, we have all these things happen that can maybe not, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, John Kill was definitely ahead of the game with things like that and obviously this was an area that he was um very successful in and writing about it i think was definitely a precursor to warming people up to everything else and i think if anything um you know the mothman prophecy definitely opened up that door to to point pleasant 
but because it made us feel, you know, we shared that tragedy. We shared in those emotions and we, we just, you know, I felt like just being, you know, empathic and, and mediumship, just thinking, Oh my God, like my heart just sank. And, and it's an image that just, it just doesn't leave you. And to speak to that specifically, when we arrived in Point Pleasant on the, the night that we got there the first time, right? We had driven up from the Serpent Mound. You know, we had decided to visit there first. Of we're Chicago. The Serpent Mound, yeah. Yeah, we're Chicagoland people. So yeah. uh, I like to tell people we really got more cornfields where we live than skyscrapers. Right. We're really on the far west, far west suburbs. Right. But um, so we drove down to the uh, the Serpent Mound and we took spent the evening. The next day we investigated that and then we jumped in the car and hightailed it to Point Pleasant. And I was on a high the whole time because I've been so excited to go there since I first learned about mm -hmm. the whole Mothman phenomenon. And so when we arrived in town, everything was closed. It's a tiny little town. We got there after five o'clock. You know, we, we went to the Mothman statue, of course. We had to see yes. that. And right. we looked at the museum, but they'd already closed up shop for the day. And there was a restaurant right across the way that we talked about before. And it was called Harris's Steakhouse, Mothman AKA Mothman Diner. And Jackie, okay. I, I didn't know what else to do. She's a little more adventurous than me in certain things. Right. And she was kind of checking things out right across the street from the post office and looking into this little restaurant. And she sees a little lady in the window. And she says to me, you know, I think she wants us to come in to talk to, to her. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't, I wasn't like fully engaged in it, but she insisted, not like in a rude way, but she just quietly said, she wants us to come talk to her. So mm. I said, okay. you know, I've come to trust my wife's intuition over the years. Right. We, we walked in, that's when we met Carolyn. Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to me at that point in time, that she was the co-founder of the Mothman Festival and that she had lost her young son, Timmy, in the bridge disaster. Uh, Did not know that. Mm -hmm. But oh. to meet Carolyn was to know Carolyn. And to know Carolyn was to love Carolyn. And yeah. we mm -hmm. sat with her. We sat with Mark Griffith, who we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, we just sat, and in Mark's words, you know, we like to chew the fat. We just sat down and visited with them. Mm -hmm. and I immediately felt like I was back in one of my great aunt's houses. And I wasn't conscious of this. It was a right. feeling. I felt comfortable. I felt safe. I felt mm -hmm. like a little boy again. Mm -hmm. And I'm not. <laughs> but right. we were sitting at this table visiting with her and we just fell in love with her. And mm -hmm. as she told us more about the story, she told us about the UFOs. She told right. us about the men in black. She told us about the other men in black. Some of them were government men. Some of them were weird. There was something different yeah. about them. She told us about the lights in the sky, the beautiful lights in the sky. Mm -hmm. And so as we stuck around for the four or five days we were there, every day we went back to Carolyn's and visited with Carolyn. She told us about the UFO that landed in her brother's, brother's backyard. backyard. Yep. I, yeah. She told us a lot of stuff, she but did. she would not talk about the bridge disaster yep. because of her son and her husband. She of told course. Us, yeah, yeah. And we didn't press. We didn't press. No, no. But it's interesting that you got that that spirit box communication with this little, this mm -hmm. little tyke, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. But, yeah. But men in black, that, that, that fascinating. Um, I could see, 
men in black, you know, the weird kind, the, the, the ET type, you know, not of this world. Um, but let's talk military men in black. Uh, why do you think they would be interested in this area? Well, the UFOs and the strange activity that was going on, mm -hmm. um, the Mothman and things like that, <clears throat> is what I would think. Um, in the words mm -hmm. of Denny Bellamy, uh, one of the people we interviewed said, we grow good pot in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> could be men in black type of pot, though. I don't know. <laughs> that, that would really have to take you off the planet. But <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, but uh, hmm. I, I mean, the UFOs I can see, but if it's an area that's you know that's constantly having activity, I mean, activity happens like everywhere. I mean, really. I mean, you know, here for you know, like I say, like you go to the Niagara region, there's like. There's tons. There's always reports. You go to MUFON, you'll see reports happening all the time. But I've yet to see, and I could be wrong, um, but I've been doing this for a really long time. I've been in the field myself for you know at least a couple of decades. I don't think we've had any real men in black experiences. So I could see it, okay, you know, in, in the skies, and you have a lot of paranormal activity. It's a bit of a hot zone. Mothman, I could see, you know, um, again, being of interest to somebody like that. But... Um, but again, you're getting into interdimensional beings and cryptids sort of show up all over the place. Mm -hmm. So it just makes you wonder. Well, a thought else. that I had when you were asking that, why men in black? Yeah. Why, UFOs, yeah. Why government, guys? Yeah. Here we've got this ultra-secret kind of operation going on where we're building munitions. We've got stuff that's going on. Right. i got to tell you, uh, we're good friends with a gentleman uh, a co-researcher, when I call him a co-researcher, he's a trailblazer. I mean, right. he's been in the field for a long time. A guy by the name of Andrew B. Colvin. And Andy is largely responsible for repopularizing John Keel's lost works. He's the one that came out with the compendiums that you may be familiar with. Uh, Flying Saucer to the Center of Your Mind, which right. one it referred to in the Hellier documentary. That's Andy's yes. work. Searching for the String. Searching for the String Absolutely. is another one, Outer Limits of the Twilight Zone. He's got mm -hmm. about 15 or more of those. He right. just popped a message on my phone because we communicate regularly. He called me today and we had a little conversation. He's a good friend of ours. Right. But the reason that I'm talking about Andy is that his thought with respect to why all this was going on is that there was a secret operation that was going on. He thought the government had UFOs back there. He thought that in the TNT area, there was more going on than just manufacturing of munitions yeah. for World War II. Yeah. If we had something, if it was a captured alien craft or whether it was something that was one of ours that was being perfected basically for a mission, mm -hmm. whatever yeah. it was, I mean, that's yeah. part of his conjecture mm -hmm. in some of his research. That would explain, you know, military type men in black it it goes back to sort of like that skinwalker ranch thing you know what's underground there are places everything okay that would be my dog <laughs> which is about three pounds <laughs> anyway all right we'll leave that right there um yeah i i mean that would explain you know why um you would have that sort of activity. And wasn't there, because of these munitions, like wasn't there some kind of, you know, uh, urban legend about Mothman possibly being a, a product of, you know, bioengineering or something of that nature? 
that or that because it's such a contaminated area that it was um what's the word i'm looking for a genetic mutation yeah a mutation right okay yes. yeah so it, it is very contaminated still i mean the ponds out there are just covered with a lime green sludge it's it's awful i would they pull like three eyed fish out of there and they've seen eight legged deer and all kinds of strange things out in the TNT area. So mm -hmm. I, I don't buy that though. No, I, I just don't buy that because how is it, how is it that they can't catch it? If that's the case, why can't they catch it? And why was it seen all the way to in Charleston and all the way up in Parkersburg? So if, if it was a mutation, there had to have been several mutations for it to travel like that, unless it is an intelligent being that can literally fly at high speeds, which it did, and know its way around. It kept coming back to Point Pleasant for whatever yes. reason. Yes, so that sort of scraps that all together. Okay. I, again, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, do you have these military men in black? It's like, I don't know. What is it? Does something get out? That's my first mm -hmm. thought. It's like, hmm. I don't know. They just don't just randomly, you know, show up on this or something of significant, I agree with you, significant um, interest or significant, something that they're trying to protect and make sure it does not get out. Mm -hmm. I was thinking that when I was like logically trying to process what Mothman could possibly be mm -hmm. back before, I, before now, put it that way, right. Um, right Patterson Air Force Base is not far from there. Right. And I thought, well, maybe it was a man in a flying suit you know, and it has night vision goggles and it's just flying and scaring people because it never hurt anybody. If it, if it was a dangerous being mm -hmm. or was a killer being or whatever, alien or whatever it is, mm -hmm. it never hurt anyone. Right. So did it I communicate thought, with people? Like, I mean, obviously you can only believe a portion of what you see in the film, but you know, there, there were people who had allegedly come forward to know that they had some kind of a communication, whether it be like through the telephone or, um, you know, on the property that there was some kind, some kind of an attempt at communication and for others more so. So there's another book that was written five years before the Mothman prophecies by an author by the name of Gray Barker. Yes. And you, you're familiar with Gray Barker. I'm sure a lot of the audience is familiar with Gray yes. Barker. He doesn't have the best reputation I in the agree. research community just because he and Jim Mosley did a whole lot of hoaxing. So right. they, they kind of got themselves a little bit of a bad rap. Barker was a phenomenal writer. He right. was very literary. He did a wonderful job of telling stories. His book that came out in 1970 was called The Silver Bridge. And it's, uh, in Andy's words, it's what you call kind of a docudrama. Because it's right. not really a documentary. It, there's a lot of stuff that he takes poetic license with. In fact, he has a couple chapters that are written from the perspective of Mothman. So he's like putting himself into Mothman's, you know, position, and then you know, writing that particular chapter to discuss mm -hmm. that. But the reason I'm mentioning this is there was a lady <clears throat> in chapter one or chapter two of the Silver Bridge, and I believe her name was Virginia. I forget what her last name was, but in Barker's language, she he described her as having second sight. 
Mm. And by second sight, basically, we mean she has some type of psychic intuition, some type of abilities to interpret things here and there. Mm -hmm. And she was one who actually, in the beginning of that book, prayed for Mothman, that he was not some, if he was some demonic being, that somehow he'd find his way to the light or what have you. Right. Uh, But she, she reported some type of messages that she received that she had thought were from Mothman. There were others, one of the witnesses, you know, we talked about early on, uh, Linda Scarberry, who was one of the more predominant witnesses who stuck it out for really her whole life in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Thought that she was haunted by Mothman. When she was asked mm-hmm. how many times she saw Mothman, she said hundreds, if not thousands. Wow. She felt every time she went outside, she would see it. So she really struggled with a, a lot of issues that that happened in her life as a mm-hmm. result initial encounter and never really being being able to get past it she was really traumatized by all of that Mm. but one of the things that she stated in one of the documentaries was that she had felt that at one point she was watching she saw mothman on a cold winter's night on a roof either her roof or a roof across the street and it had its wings around itself and it appeared to be shivering and she felt pity for it that it was lost, mm-hmm. that somehow it was a creature from a different realm that couldn't find its way home. And oh. she, she sympathized for it. Wow. Um, could she communicate telepathically with it, do you think? Maybe there was some kind of a, of a connection for him to keep coming back to her, something could about be, her. Could be maybe something latent. Yeah. I, I've not heard that she had stated that she had communicated with Martha. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just interesting because sometimes beings, like even in the spirit world, you know, sometimes there's just something about an individual. And we call them haunted people, you know. It doesn't matter where they go or, or what, you know, what they do in their travels. They just always seem to be that beacon. And it just makes me wonder if she was some sort of a beacon because she had this empathy for this being. And he may have picked up on that and figured, you know, here's somebody I, I can be around. And because that's a lot of sightings. It I is mean, a lot of sightings. It's, it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and what, the way Denny described her during her his interview was that her life was destroyed, basically. That she was right. one of the ones that was quote unquote crushed by her experience of, mm-hmm. of viewing what Mothman. Now, like Jackie mentioned before, Mothman never physically harmed anybody never came down and, you know, slashed somebody or right. stabbed them or, or, or bit them. It wasn't that type mm-hmm. of thing. She was one of the ones that just couldn't get past the trauma that it manifested. Now, I can also tell you that sure. the Letts, which is the other couple that were with Roger and Linda Scarberry, that mm-hmm. first will not speak of it at all. They will never bring it up. It's, it's funny, actually. In 18, uh, 18 or 19, Jackie was, she had to work. And I took the annual trip to Point Pleasant with a friend of ours. And we just, we cruised out and we were with one of his relatives and he took us right by the Millette's house. And he said, let's just stop in there and go talk to him. And I said, are you kidding me? These people I'm not going to go up to their door. To be sure. yeah, right? They don't want to talk about this. I would love to have a conversation with them, but I don't want to violate anybody's boundaries. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's touchy on a lot of different levels. Like you, you said at the beginning of the show, you either lost a relative or you know somebody who lost somebody. It, it, it just, it, it's it's a domino effect. It affects, mm-hmm. it's, this is a community loss. It wasn't just about individual loss. This was a, you know, horrific loss of the entire community. 
Um, so to not want to talk about it, I can understand, you know, you lose somebody, you don't necessarily want to talk about things like that. And especially when there's a stigma attached to it. Yes. That tends to overshadow, you know. Um, what was really fascinating to me, Michelle, is the, the fact that, you know, we, we go back in time to 1966, mm -hmm. 1967, and we think about the political com uh, component as to what was going on. The Vietnam War was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, the country was changing. Summer of Love was pending. All these different things were going on. But we're in West Virginia. And West Virginia is in the middle of the Bible Belt. We have a lot of very conservative people that live there. These are nine to five folks. They go to church on the weekends. Mm -hmm. They don't drink. If they do, they don't do a lot. I guess some of them smoke pot, according to them. <laughs> Apparently. What gets me is in a community that small, right. you have between 100 and 200 people who are so terrified that mm -hmm. they're willing to risk their reputation to go forward, to give their names, to talk to police, to file reports, yeah. to talk to Mary Hire, to be in newspaper articles, to be on television, mm -hmm. to talk to John Keel from New York, mm -hmm. to let him write about them. And I mean, they didn't really stand to gain a whole lot by that. You talk about stigma. No. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, they could very well be blackballed for the rest of their lives. Sure, but loss still, of jobs or, you they know. They still talk about it. They yeah. had to. Right, right. No, that's a really tough position to be in because like, you could lose your job, you could lose credibility. Uh, it doesn't really take much in that situation. And and you're right. Very conservative people do not want to go talk about ghost stories. You know, there, there's that, that sense of logic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, take the pot aside. <laughs> Just, yeah. But, but yeah. that might also be saying, okay, come on. <laughs> what well, what were you doing when you saw that? So when the, when the kids showed up at the cop shop, right. you got the strawberries and the mullets on yeah. the 15th of, November of 66, mm -hmm. they show up at the at the police station after racing 100 miles an hour from the mm -hmm. TNT area down a really twisty turning road that really is right along the Ohio River and pretty treacherous. Right. They showed up at the police station. They talked to Deputy Millard Halstead mm -hmm. and they're talking crazy because this is outside of everybody's experience. I mean, talk about something to be afraid of. And his thought wasn't these kids are on something. His thought wasn't these kids are crazy. His thought mm -hmm. wasn't they're up to something to manufacture some kind of nonsense. These were right. reputable people. They were upstanding young citizens. He knew them since they were little kids. He believed that they saw something. And right. when they were cornered and witnessed to their stories individually in separate rooms, they didn't vary. They all stayed on the same page. So it wasn't like they were trying to make something up or, or make it into something mm. more than it was. They were terrified. They told it like it was, and they were very believable. And their original statements are at the Mothman, in the Mothman Museum, excuse me, and you can read them. And they all said the same thing. And then later on, we found out this summer from Jeff that Linda and Mary both were taken to the hospital because they were in shock. From it they were treated for shock at the hospital so mm -hmm. you know the people that want to say that they were making it up trying to get out of trouble is what we heard from a couple of people that we interviewed mm -hmm. to go so far as to write 13 page front and back 
right yeah there are the reports of what happened and then right. go to the hospital and be treated for shock mm -hmm. no that's it doesn't make a lot of sense does it pretty extreme yeah. i mean yeah. if it was me and i was trying to stay out of trouble I'd, I'd be keeping my mouth shut and just <laughs> yeah, disappear for the night someplace. You want to blame exactly. <laughs> exactly. Last thing you want to do is throw yourself under the bus and end up being totally exposed and you know. And 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 also and you know, small town. I mean, you know who's a good seed and who's not, you know, and if they they the, the police officers know the upstanding young citizens. You know, I'm sure that they're going to take the word for it. They know who the troublemakers are. The community is small; <laughs> it doesn't take much. So I, I, I'm, like, I'm glad that they, you know, that they they took those testimonials seriously because sometimes you're looking at young people. It's like, okay, <laughs> sure, you saw that. Yeah. But how many other reports are coming in all in and around the same time, also leading yes. up to that point? Um, did they ever? you know, what actually caused the collapse? So after all of this stuff happened, you know, yeah. we have all this 13 months worth of UFO activity, Mothman sightings, mm. disembodied voices, disembodied men in black, voices. all mm. this good stuff. All these things are going on. December 15th, 10 days before Christmas, five o'clock in the afternoon, the Silver Bridge gets filled up with traffic from both sides. You've got people who are getting off work, Right. Uh, you've got people who are Christmas shopping, uh, coming both directions. Silver Bridge was, uh, it was built in 1928. Mm. It was an I-bar construction, meaning it was one of very few that were manufactured, not only in the country, but in the world. Right. It was revolutionary back in 1928, but mm. we're talking 1967 now. So right. many, many years later, and instead of having bicycles, horses, and Model Ts, Going across this bridge now we have bigger cars semi-trailers semi-trailers and yes. couple this with the fact that in keel's words the lights were recalcitrant meaning that they both would go red at the same time mm -hmm. so in the middle of winter freezing conditions cold 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 people packed on the bridge one of the i-bars had a manufacturing defect in it they, they learned this later on. Right. This manufacturing defect expanded. The I-bar collapsed. Mm -hmm. It went down like dominoes. It turned, I, I want to say it turned to the left first and then to the right. Do I have that right or is that backwards? Oh, so it swayed a little bit. Yeah. And it, wow. within, within, a, within a minute, I mean, it basically turned, dumped half of the traffic off into the river and then flipped the other way around, dumped the other half off. And then horribly so collapsed on top of all those vehicles. Yeah. So we've so, got frigid conditions, bridges down, mm -hmm. emergency folks went to work as soon as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. Only a handful of people survived it. 46 lives were lost. But ultimately, it was found to be a manufacturing defect and really changing. It was just stress. Vehicles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hairline fracture and I bar 13. Yeah. Number wow. 13 again. So yeah. we have. 13 months lots of 13s from that transpired between mm. 15th and december 15th of next year mm -hmm. ivar number 13. right Your 13s all over the place we could probably go on ad nauseum about that oh yeah it's a hell of a show with the 13s 
yeah. I mean, there's, I have a spreadsheet of 13s. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. I have to come, have, bring you back and say, okay. One. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, I need to do a quick sponsor and station ID and then I'm going to come back and we're going to get right to what, what made you decide to write the book. Okay. So for anybody just tuning in, shame on you, should have done this like an hour and a half ago. Kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. Anyway, <laughs> um, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to The Outer Realm here on United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 uh, FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. And guys, we are on Roku. Officially, we are live actually on Roku right now so you can watch us from the comfort of your own home as well uh our sponsors of course are Folgers Coffee who we love they've been with us since day one and uh we're really really appreciative of having them so thank you Folgers uh Justin Snicker Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, award-winning composer of horror, Halloween, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music. Also, you know, the master behind all of our uh, intro, outro. Uh, so thank you to him. Artwork by Steve McGinnis. Thank you to you as well. So for the very first time, Bill and Jackie Kudulis. Did I just say that or did I butcher it? Did I get that right? What? What? Kudulis. Got it. I'll be okay. You're so I think I just blurted it out a little too quick. They are the authors of Bridging the Tragedy. And um, we were talking about the Mothman. We we're talking about the trauma and those who overcame it. And it's been a really awesome conversation, I have to say. See, I always say that conversation because it kind of, you know, I like it to just flow. So a lot of people tuning in. Only just now, Corinne, really. <laughs> Hello to all. Nice to see you. Also, uh, Wayne, nice to see you as well. Some of our regulars are like, where is everybody? <laughs> but anyway, so let's get to the book. Um, what made you decide to write the book uh, about survivors and overcoming? And In a word, in a name, Carolyn, Carolyn Harris. Okay. So I... Uh, my original education is I have a bachelor's in English and I spent, uh, after finishing that the next 14 years in technology sales, and I've always been an avid reader, but I've always been an aspiring writer and, um, never really got a right around to writing anything that I could publish. But at the age of 43, I asked Jackie if she thought that I had it in me to be a student and would you mind if I went back to school? Oh. And she said, go ahead, take the class, because I probably was getting on her nerves a little bit. <laughs> Just <it>. go. <laughs> entertaining me all the time. Yeah. Right. And so I took a class, uh, a psychology class, and I liked it. And then I took another one, and I liked it. Long story short, took a half a dozen psych classes, because I've always been fascinated by the, the human thought process. Mm. Why do we think differently? Why do we do things the way we do, collectively, mm. individually, what have you? So... The whole thing was in order to go back to get an advanced degree. I wanted to get a master's in something, but I was nervous. You know, I'm thinking I wasn't that great of a student the first time that mm -hmm. I really had it in me. So I proved to myself I could do the online thing. So I jumped into a master's program and didn't find that to be too terribly hard. But what I loved about it was I got to write. And so when I finished that and kind of advanced a little bit in my career, after about six months, I, I got bored again. And I told Jackie, I said, I think I'm going to go back for a doctorate. And 
she knows better than to like get in my way when I decide I want to do something. She's very supportive. Mm -hmm. And so she allowed me to go back to school. And as this we're talking about, I went back for the doctorate in 15. We met Carolyn in 16. And so I didn't know what I was going to really do with it. And frankly, I didn't know if I was ever going to finish it because it was hard. I mean, right. here I'm in my 40s, late 40s, and I'm trying to do something while we're raising the family. And she's got a career and I've got a career. And it's expensive and blah, blah, blah. But we took this vacation to Point Pleasant and we met Carolyn and we loved Carolyn. And Carolyn gave us her cell phone numbers, which we thought was really neat. I mean, this is a lady who'd been on a number of documentaries, mm. uh, all kinds of things about Point Pleasant, you know, monsters and mysteries type programs, uh, things of that nature. And so we kind of felt like we were in the presence of a star when we met her, but she was so humble and so kind. Mm. We, uh, a few months later, after we went back home, after having our mountaintop type experience in Point Pleasant, uh, kind of went into a little bit of a funk, just figured I'd never go back. And I'm back into my humdrum life and all this business. But Christmas Eve, as we were headed to Jackie's mom's house to celebrate Christmas, I told her, I said, you know, Carolyn gave us her phone numbers and we haven't used them. And by golly, I would really like to talk to her and see if I could write something about her life. Wow. And she said, why don't you call her? Why don't you give her a call? But let's do it after the holidays. So we agreed that we were going to call Carolyn after the holidays. So our buddy, Mark Griffith, uh, who we'd stayed in contact with from the time we'd met the both of them a few months earlier, sent us a message on Christmas. And he said, Carolyn had a heart attack. Mm. And we were immediately stunned to hear that Carolyn wasn't young. But right. here we had kind of finally decided we wanted to, to do something right. big and involve her with it. And the next day, Carolyn died. Oh, I'm we so sorry. We were crushed. Yeah, I'm I mean, so sorry. It brings tears to my eyes today to say it. Yeah, yeah. And I never really knew why, and I'll share with you later why I learned. Mm -hmm. it took me a while to figure out why mm -hmm. exactly, because I only knew her for a handful of days. We didn't know her that long. Right. But long story short, um, I went back, continued my curriculum. We got closer and closer to getting done, and we we joined. Uh, we attended a couple MUFON meetings. It was like a couple's goal. We wanted to get out because by this point, she she had built businesses. So in mm -hmm. addition to her career as a postmaster, she's operating a couple of businesses and she's super busy with those. And I'm going to school and I'm doing my day job. Mm -hmm. We're raising our granddaughter by then. So we're just juggling all. Uh, yes. But I finally got to the point where I could, I went through the comps, which was a horrible experience. <laughs> and then uh -huh. I got to the dissertation and that was worse. <laughs> but mm -hmm. we finished the dissertation. And by the time we got done with that, I'd been thinking I needed the next project. And so we began kind of kicking around ideas as to what to do with it. My dissertation was about the concept of post-traumatic growth. It's about the good things that we gain as individuals and collectively by going through things that we don't think we could possibly survive. And as we kind of kicked it around for a month or so, we came up with the idea of why don't we investigate post-traumatic growth and Jackie had come up with this before, but post-traumatic growth and paranormal experiences. And mm. we kicked it out a little bit more and finally decided, why don't we, why don't we do something about the Silver Bridge disaster? And yeah. as a way to perhaps honor Carolyn and yeah. her memory, plus the other people that we had met over the last five, six years that we've been commuting annually to Point mm -hmm. Pleasant. Because every time we went back there, 
we would make more friends. Right. And, just, and we, and we see, see more stores open up and we saw the community growing and growing and growing. So that right. was a big part of it right there. Yeah, it's very encouraging. Yeah. I yeah. think it's beautiful. I think it's 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 paying homage to your friend and all of those who are just, you know, overcome again like a tragedy but a stigma as well but yet turning it into this you know this tourist mecca you know where people come from all over the world just to participate and hear the stories and investigate and just be a part of that experience mm -hmm. you know so writing yeah. this book you're interviewing people um that would have had to have been very emotional uh, how did you convince people to just come in and, and talk about all of this, especially those who don't want to talk about it at all? You go ahead, talk about it. So Mark, we wanted him to be part of the story. He needed to be part of the story right? because we met him on our first trip. We met him with Carolyn. Mm. He's kept up with us regularly. We've seen him almost every time we've gone back to Point Pleasant. Mm. We wanted him to be involved in the story. So mm -hmm. we asked him if he could be our first participant. And he said, yeah. I said, well, Mark, we love you, but we need more than just you. Right, right. <laughs> so he said, tell you what, let me let me put the word out, see what I come up with. Right. So as he was doing that, we came up with an idea to contact Jeff. Because by then, we'd been pretty friendly with Jeff. We'd been to dinner with him several times. And mm. every time I hung out in the, in the museum. And just we like the same kind of music. So he and I visit about that. We just have a fun relationship. And so we made a plan to contact him. Uh, I got Andy Colvin, who we talked about, who's probably the most prolific Mothman researcher alive today in terms of the volume of work he's done. And our only Mothman witness. Yeah, he's our <laughs> Mothman witness also. Yeah. And uh, and we wanted to con we contacted Steve Ward. And I don't know if you know Steve Ward or not. Do you know who that is? I've actually heard of the name. Yeah, but I don't so know. Steve, Steve is somebody who's been a Keel disciple since the 60s. So okay. he was really in a kindred the spirit then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When <laughs> right. he retired, he moved from Michigan to Point Pleasant and now he works with Jeff at the museum. Yeah. So he, oh, he's wow. one who's super connected also. So we weren't right. necessarily looking to ask them to participate in particular. We were asking them to point us in the direction of people that we could interview. But mm -hmm. what ended up happening out of all of that is we we deepened our relationship with Jeff. Mm -hmm. We deepened our relationship with Steve. And then we built a friendship with Andy. And uh, Steve, although he wasn't really a witnesser and wasn't really present then, mm -hmm. wasn't somebody we interviewed, but Andy and Jeff were. So mm -hmm. we got Andy and Jeff that way. We had Mark. Mm -hmm. Mark got a hold of the Point Pleasant Roads Commissioner, Rick Handley. We right. got Rick involved. So we started building a little bit. And then we got a hold of Ashley Wamsley, who is Jeff's daughter. Mm -hmm. And she's really central to the whole Mothman uh, franchise that they have out there, too. And we said, Ashley... We've got, you know, a handful of people, but really for the type of methodology we're going to do, mm -hmm. we need to have eight to 10 people. I could use your help. What do right. you think? She said, right. get hold of Beth Surgeon. Beth Surgeon runs the newspapers out here and I'll get you connected to her and mm -hmm. then you can see what she has to say. So we lined up a conference call with Beth and we talked to her and Beth was real, real tentative with us. Mm. And she said, I like your idea. But you got to be really careful because our idea was to interview people about Mothman and their experience of the paranormal, oh. also about the Silver Bridge and their experience of that. And she said, "You can you can do that. Mm -hmm. but you got to be 
be really careful not to combine them. Don't make it look like, you know, this is Silver Bridge, Mothman type of right. or what have you. She said, right. you need to be respectful. You need to be courteous. So we laid out for her what our research plan was. And we followed a real strict research plan. And right. we sent that to her and we talked to her and she said, you know what? I'll put an, I'll put an article in the paper for you. Right. What we didn't know, Michelle, was that she put that article on the front page of the Point Pleasant wow. Register, the yeah. Gallup Police newspaper, and another newspaper there in the area. And she would not charge us a dime for it. Wow. So unbelievable. It's like serendipitous, really. Yeah, right. We started getting phone calls. And the first phone call that I got was from a Southern gentleman. I could tell he was older. He told us his name was Jimmy Wedge. I didn't know who Jimmy, Jimmy Wedge was. I had no clue. But Jimmy Wedge lost mom and dad both in the bridge disaster. Oh, see, my heart sinks every time I hear something like that. I, I was yeah. immediately, I was a little rattled. Right. It's very humbling, isn't it? Unbelievably so. Yes. Unbelievably so. Yes. Um, and he said, I like to be part of your study. And I just told him we'd be honored. You know, we'd be honored to be, to interview mm -hmm. So right. we were able to line Jimmy up as a result of that article. Mm. We still didn't have enough people there. But when we arrived in Point Pleasant, Linda Lane called us up. And Linda Lane was a person who was present there. She was 18 when the bridge went down. Mm -hmm. And she said she'd be a part of it. Charlene. Charlene Westwood also mm -hmm. called us. And she said, I'd like to be a part of your conversation. Let's let's do that. Wow. So it was, a, it was a matter of, you know, in, in the research community, it's a combination of targeted participation and then mm -hmm. snowball sampling uh -huh. because you've right. got people referring other people who are part of the study. Mm -hmm. So that all kind of rolled together. And it, the end result, it was a combination of those ways. That's how we found our folks to participate. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with 11. And Facebook, we got Andy and Harriet. From oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. We we set up a, we set up a, a Zoom meeting with Andy Colvin. That's how we met him. And Harriet. Right. And Harriet. Right. Brooke, who uh, is an absolute psychic rock star. We love her. She's amazing. And we got, she was a recipient also. So she was one that had paranormal stuff going on too. And she's become a, a good friend of ours too, that I could right. go off on and my wife would probably kick me under the table because I always, <laughs> that's how we got Harriet as well. Did I miss, did I miss anyone? Marva. Marva. Mar Linda Lane. Well, you miss Linda too, but that's okay. They They'd have to get the book to see all the names and remember them also. Here. Yes, yes. That, that's kind of how it came together. If I missed anybody, I'm sorry, but that, that's... <laughs> so it's basically you've got this whole Point Pleasant family happening. So mm -hmm. this yearning you had to go back. Now it's like you're you're a part of the, the entire equation. So the study itself, what did it involve? So what we did is we designed two sets of guiding questions. And the guiding questions are open-ended. We had to make sure and use a concept known as bracketing, which means we are totally taking our expectations out of the mix. These questions are all about the participants. So we asked them things like, what, what was going on before the bridge disaster? What was your life like mm -hmm. when it happened? What changed? What is it like today? And I'm summarizing for you. But we had a series of probably 18 questions, and they were pertinent to the bridge disaster. And then we mirrored those questions for the people who wanted to talk about Mothman encounters or paranormal things. Right. So we had two sets of guiding questions, but really uh, we would do the interviewing process, but it was just like this. They were conversations like we're having right here 
They're mm -hmm. guiding questions. They were meant to spark the conversation. And if this conversation went in a different direction than it looked like it would, we let them roll because this was right. about them. It wasn't about us. Right, right. I think, again, I think it's fantastic. It's so humbling that all these people will come forward. And just the fact that, you know, you end up with this help um, getting this posted in on the front page, no less, of the newspaper. It was almost like she wanted reassurance that you would have integrity because it was just such a, you know, it's such a mark on the town, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. and their community. And some people obviously still reel from it, but the fact that they're willing to come forward and discuss it, I thought is interesting. So how did you fare up with, with these, with the studies? Like what was your determination, the before and the after? With everyone. Well, well what, what we did really is we went through the series of questions. And then yes. at that point, <clears throat> I applied a methodology known as coding. Ground, grounded after transcription. After transcription. So yeah. I'm sorry, I skipped right. a step. We videoed and audioed everybody. Well, a couple of them didn't want to be videoed. So we didn't do that. But we recorded everything and then transcribed right. all those. And then mm -hmm. we took those transcriptions and we loaded them into a software. And the software is called Atlas TI. And the purpose of the software it's just like an electronic filing cabinet because the next step then is mind you to look at every single line of every statement that was made and pull a meaning unit from that statement so when mark griffith told us that uh, a lady told him there was a thing called the bird man and he was mm -hmm. a little boy and he didn't know anything about it he had just moved to town <clears throat> he, he said why would you tell a little kid that you're going to scare him half to death so the meaning unit from that is fear, young, what have you. And then you just keep on tabbing each one of the statements that each one of the participants makes in order to assign meaning to them. That's called initial coding. So right. that process, I don't know how long that took, but we ended right. up with almost 2,300 initial codes. Wow. So wow. Those, those codes, then we start looking for common themes. Mm -hmm. You know, how do these fit together? Which ones right. belong? Which are pertinent to what we're looking for? Because ultimately, we're looking for post-traumatic growth. We're looking for the good stuff right. from the bad things. Right. So the next step is called focused coding. So we create all these categories. And these categories basically take this 2,300 set of codes and takes it down into about 100 different categories. So we're getting, mm -hmm. getting more precise. But right. that's still a lot of data. It is, yeah. Next, the next thing we have to do is to take all that data and just distill it down a little bit more and right. find more things that are more pertinent to what we're looking for, mm -hmm. pulling out the ones that may have been things that a lot of people talked about, but weren't really related to the, the concept of post-traumatic growth right. and pull all those different, what are known as dimensions from that final step of coding, which is called theoretical coding. That's how we arrived with the dimensions of post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. and we're happy to share those with you if you'd like to hear them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Stage is yours. Bear with me. Maybe Jackie can fill up the airtime while I find the page. <laughs> 271? <laughs> uh, let's see. Start she's a she just automatically knows what you have to do. <laughs> so. Mama says 271, and she's right. She's the brains of the operation. I'm the mouth. I'm the mouth. So what, what we found out was, and these are the things we found from the community of Point Pleasant, that presented as positive things, post-traumatic growth, as a result of going through what they went through. Okay. The first one was a concept called appreciation for life. The second one was community. Next was entrepreneurialism, family, 
gratitude, memorial, optimism, patience, perseverance, personal development, perspective taking, positive reflections, preparedness, responsibility, and spiritual development. Wow. It just it just resonates with me as you're you're saying that and again, that's just from you know, like just psychically how it makes me feel when you're chiming those words off and I have you know I take in the energy of Point Pleasant. It it all just resonates, like it just hits you in the core. Like it's you know, kudos, kudos. I think you you just you guys did a fantastic job, it just nails it. Thank you. That's it's exactly, you know, these people have persevered. They've overcome tragedy, stigma. They've, they've, they've literally just evolved the whole community as a community. And, um, you know, all of everything that they were feeling inside, I mean, resonates in everything that you see when you go there today, mm-hmm. based on people. I know many people have gone and I, there's not one that's had a bad experience. Yeah. And it, it's just outstanding. We, we had always gone in off season. I'm not usually a big crowds guy. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I a little bit more towards the introvert side than the extrovert side. Right. Um, Jackie likes big stuff like that. She does great in those types of environments. But yeah, we, we were invited by Ashley Wamsley uh, and Jeff. Jeff and I had been talking for a couple of years about us coming and presenting what we were working on. But the Mothman Festival was canceled for a couple of years because of the COVID thing. Yes. Yeah. So we actually, I think I can speak for me. I was a little relieved in 21 because we didn't have anything to present yet. I right. mean, we were still working on this thing and we wanted to right. come out there and at least talk about it, but it wasn't done. Right. But we really worked our tails off to get things ready in time for this year's festival and uh, never had published a book before. So we worked with Andy Colvin again, mm-hmm. who is a pro at this. He helped us get this thing across the finish line. Mm-hmm. He said, guys, you can't go to the festival without a book. You got to have it done. Right. So we, we, we put the book together. We got it done. It was published at the very end of August. And uh, we were able to ship cases of it to the museum. Mm-hmm. And Jeff held on to them for us when we got there. But we arrived at the festival, set up a booth. And that place typically pulled between twelve and 15,000 people over wow. the weekend this wow. year because of the pent-up demand there were over 30,000 people in this little community Mothman Saturday was just crazy 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 and how, how did the book do how how was it received we came home with some but we sold a bunch <laughs> that's all that matters <laughs> yeah we had such fun it was living the experience i say <laughs> so it was it was wonderful we had in, in the tent that we were in, we were right next to uh, George Dudding, right. who's a paranormal publisher from the area, who's got all kinds of books out. We've yes. gotten to know him a little bit over the years. Mark Randall was next right. to George. Was next to George yeah. And Mark is a creative artist who does things for small town monsters. We've gotten yeah. to know him the last few years as well, too. Mm-hmm. Complete gentleman, great guy. Across from us directly was Lyle Blackburn, who I imagine yes. you gotta be familiar with that name. Yes, yes, of course. Next was Ken Gerhard. Oh, he's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, and next to him was uh, was Nick Redfern. He's been on the show a few times. So, yeah, and this is our first time ever at the Mothman. Festival. I know, I love it. 
Right. And, we, and Andy came and supported us. He sat there in the booth with he us. Surprised, <laughs> he surprised us. Yeah, so that was he, pretty cool. He didn't ask us uh, if we wanted him to join us. He told us he was coming. He's just, I'm here. I am. And Andy, Andy's got a hot ride. He went out and bought himself a 72 Chevelle Survivor. His Very car nice. lights out gorgeous. Yeah. And he just shows up, drives from Columbus and shows up, and here I am, and he's got a pizza in the car. You want some pizza? <laughs> it's hilarious, dude. Such a good it. time. It was so much fun. Yeah. I love fun. it. I love it. I love that, you know, you take this experience and now it's just larger than life and you have all these people coming together for one common reason. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I love it. Um, what do you have coming next as we're slowly getting at the top of the hour? This is the part where you promote yourself. Tell people what you have coming up. I understand you're working on another book. Yes. Anything you want to talk about? Well, we had originally planned to hit the road running right after the first of the year with um, our yes. new study looking for participants, but um, he has been recently hospitalized. So it's kind of put us back a little bit on any of that. But when we presented at the Mothman Festival, our last frame on our PowerPoint presentation was asking the audience for help. We had come up with three different ideas of what we were looking to do. and. Okay. When I was going over those ideas, I started talking about um, the one that's most dear to my heart is paranormal experience and sexual abuse and physical abuse, any type of abuse that the paranormal experiences might, in my mind, are bringing in. Stem from? Right, and, so that might stem from the experiences? Yes, yes. Right, okay. And um, how you can grow from that. And so that one, because of the things that came out of my mouth while I was talking about it, which I had not planned at all. Um, some lady came up afterwards and I was talking about when I was a child, um, there were heads on the dresser at night and I was little. And I remember peeking out from my covers and seeing these heads on the dresser all the time. And I was scared to death. Well, I found out later on in life that my sister who shared a bedroom with me also saw the heads, but she didn't want me to know that because she was my older sister and she didn't want to scare me, but she was scared to death too. And well, she was experiencing out, it validation for you. Yes. Yes. Right. And I found out even further along in life that that's the time when she started being sexually abused by wow. one of our uncles. And my dad was alcoholic and he beat my mom and we had a lot of abuse going on. But so it's a traumatic thing, like, a, yeah. It, like, like, yeah, okay. See yeah, she, how certain types of energy can manifest and attract. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I think that that manifested because of her abuse and I was able to yeah. see it because we were so close. But um, when I was talking about that, someone came up afterwards and she like literally couldn't talk and Bill was going to go talk to her. And she's like, no, and she was pointing at me. And when I started talking to her, she said, I said, you saw the heads too. And she said, and then she said, but it was oh, snakes. Wow. She saw snakes when she was growing up. So wow. she had packed that away in a tidy little place in the corner of mm. her self. And yeah, when right. I started talking about that, she remembered it. She had no recollection of it. You at triggered all. it. Yes. Yes. Wow. So <laughs> that's what we're looking to do for our next study. So if anybody listening to the show tonight um, would like to get in contact with you guys, maybe to participate, um, you know, connect with you guys, stories of their own, how would yes. they do that? What's um, the best they way? Find, 
they could contact us through our email, which is um, PRP2022 at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. They can message us on Facebook. Okay. They can friend request us. They have to look up our names. I don't know if you have them up. Yeah. Everything, everything that is, is all in the show description. Everything you sent me, it's yes. all there. Okay. So, so I can put your, I can add your emails. I, I always like to ask first before I just put it out there to everybody who listen, millions of people, you know, but I will add your emails to the show description if, um, with your permission then. Yes, that's fine. And then okay. we also have a Facebook page, Phenomenology Research Professionals, that they could contact us through that too. Oh, excellent. Okay. I love that. It has been so much fun. I, I love the book. Where can they buy your book? What's Amazon. Amazon. And then if, if, if people don't use Amazon accounts, because not everybody does, if they contact us on Facebook, right. we will ship them one. It's it's free shipping on Amazon, $19.99. We'll ship you one for 20 bucks. Um, free shipping. Right. So just contact us on Facebook. Let us know. We'll make the arrangements to get it to them. Fantastic. I do not want to end the show without people knowing how to get your book. So thank you so much for joining me. It has been really awesome. Um, so knowledgeable. I, I love what you did with the book. I love how you're just bringing the whole story of the people of Point Pleasant to the public with just in an entirely different light. You. You've made it more about the people than about Mothman. It like literally Mothman's is, had his day. <laughs> that's literally what I was telling people at the, at the festival. I'm like, yeah. this is an excellent book. And it's not because we wrote it. It's because the people that the people wrote it. it's the interviews they're in yeah. the book. I mean, yeah. that makes the book. Yeah. We have all 11 interviews in there and they, yeah. they are, they really are the best part of it is you get those experiences experiences yeah. from those people it's just they they did a tremendous tremendous job of representing their their experiences right and you guys have done a tremendous job of bringing it to light so there we have it everybody so again thank you oh people can start chiming in oh, there we go there we go <laughs> it'll keep going so. <laughs> but thank you um i will be in touch uh after you know once i get off the soundboard i like to always let our guests know how many people were chiming in and just fill you in and send you links to archives and things like that. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. Excellent. So thank you guys again. And I will be in touch. And I hope you guys have a fantastic week. You, too. you as well. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, that was fantastic. Just such a, uh, I, I'll say, you know, heartwarming because it really was. It's a story that so many people are fascinated with. But from the Mothman point of things. You know, this is so much more about the people. And I think sometimes people lose sight of the fact. They think, oh, the festivals, Mothman, Paranormal. But I think you lose sight of the fact that really was about people and a tragedy that affected many lives for, for years and decades to come. So big thank you uh, to our special guests, uh, Bill and Jackie, for that. So big thank you. Just love this episode. But we are at the end of this fantastic segment here in the Outer Realm. So we'd like to thank Bill and Jackie for joining us. Um, just super, super interview. Big thank you to Folgers Coffee, who are part of our uh, Outer Realm experience here. Thank you to Dr. Snick, Justin Snicker. Thank you to Steve McGinnis. If you guys, no matter where you're watching the platform, please like us, follow us, love us, subscribe, whatever it takes. We appreciate you so much. And you just make the show so much more fun. So thank you to everybody in chat who uh, 
was chiming in. Corinne, to your answer where you asked um, if what they thought Mothman was, serial killer, messenger of doom, ET, uh, the answer at the beginning of the show, and they believe they were leaning to interdimensional being. So I just wanted to get that out there also. Um, so again, guys, if you want to contact us, please, outerrealmcontact at gmail.com. We have a lot of people sending us guest ideas. Um, we, we do try to get to everybody. And if they fit in with the whole genre of the show, we are happy to bring new faces on. They're just going to have to wait a few months because we are backed up about uh, three months right now. But we are doing our very best to get people booked in a timely manner. Which brings me to tomorrow night's guest, Richard D. Lewis, who's going to be discussing his book, The Paranormal Christian. Yep, religion and paranormal. Kind of a funky thing, but definitely uh, it's interesting. I've been reading it it's like, it's going to be a good show. So tomorrow night, tune in for some more fun. Remember, we're on Roku. If you're not on Roku, go go get Roku. And if you haven't been a part of our channel yet, just find us on UFO Paranormal United Public Radio. Just like that. And I'm sure if you check out all through our Facebook pages on the network, you will find a way to get in there. But we were live there tonight. So it's a big bonus for our guests, big bonus for uh, more of our listeners uh, to be able to find us. So, guys, thank you. We will see you tomorrow evening. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Good night.